Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JustBaseball, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. thing we're doing on the just baseball show today walker bueller week three as siri tells me what she found uh walker bueller week three just baseball show for monday may 15th presented by bet mgm you're literally a silly goose if you're not betting with the king of sports books jack peter we're gonna do an intro to bueller and then we're gonna do uh five takeaways from the weekend that was uh you got a haircut you had the barber deal with your facial hair which is really interesting so like lightning quick before we get to bueller uh and we are gonna have him break down uh at bats we're gonna have him talk through one of the final times he saw buster posey in his career punched him out on eight pitches and then we're gonna have him walk through garrett cole facing byron buxton and from mm. valdez facing mike trout and he's almost gonna kind of like walk us through the mind of the pitcher which is great but before then i never have the barber touch my facial hair why do you get lined up by the barber on the face too it's funny so in my old apartment um i never gotten my facial hair trimmed up by a barber before and he said hey you want me to touch up your beard i'll do it for free and i was like sure absolutely this was a couple of years ago and ever since then i always get my facial hair trimmed up i think of it almost as like a spa treatment in a way like i just gen genuinely like it happening i genuinely like it's of course i could just shave at home yes i spend a few extra dollars but i don't get my hair cut that often probably once every six weeks and it's kind of the cherry on top of the sunday for me so i do enjoy the physical process of it and they do a great job because i'm still in the midst of puberty apparently because i have patches in mind 
So they make it look way better than I could standing looking at my mirror with a razor myself. So it's a twofold approach. But I don't think I'm ever going to stop no matter how much people make fun of me for it. No, like I I don't think it's grounds to make fun of you. I think it's almost grounds to make fun of me because I'm not willing to splurge on that. But no, I think there's I think there's grounds to make fun of me. I would understand if you did. But I, I understand what you're saying, though, like. The same people that make fun of you go to sport clips for the legendary hot towel treatment. Like, relax, dude. You're going for the spa vibe, too. So if you're walking out feeling clean as shit, like, I get it. So Godspeed, brother. Godspeed. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I will continue to do so. I love it. We're going to talk five takeaways after Walker Bueller. But here he is, the man of the week. Week three with Walker Bueller. We're stepping into his tasting room again. We'll get to the (laughs) moment, which is good. But we didn't ask you last week. We're not going to bug you every week, but I got to ask, how you feeling? What's going on? (laughs) No, things are good. Uh, I'm still probably three weeks from my first bullpen, but uh, they've let me start throwing some balls off the mound. I think I hit 89 off the mound the other day. So um, we're, we're definitely getting there. It's just a weird weird deal where you know you start doing this every other day thing and then the next step is to do more back-to-backs and stuff like that so i'm like i'm throwing about five days a week now monday tuesday thursday friday saturday so um we're getting there this might be a kind of a a silly question but the the one thing that i do remember from like time off from growing and getting back into it was just like how it's not like riding a bike at all like it's pretty abnormal try to like get that release point back and everything now that you're able to get it up to like 89 i know obviously you've, you've thrown harder than that in the past but that's that's along the lines of cutting loose a little bit do you feel like you're you're kind of getting back to that old like release point and kind of feel like you're almost cutting loose a little bit with your throws i'm sure you're not max um, feel like it's free yeah i mean uh, up and so i went to the derby last weekend obviously and didn't throw for three days so this whole week, I kind of felt like a, I keep telling everyone, I feel like a baby giraffe. Like, I just don't really know where, where I'm at, but like, normally if I took three days off, like it may not feel great, but I would still feel normal. Right. So that kind of, um, foreignness to throwing or, or whatever, like not being as conditioned, I, I think leads to like those days off actually being a lot more meaningful and in, in kind of a negative way, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, so we'll, We'll be fine, hopefully, tomorrow and, and kind of see where we're at. So when you say baby giraffe, I'm thinking like, okay, every other human being on the planet is nowhere close to as synced up and rhythmic as like <laughs> a major league pitcher as you. But here you are saying like, yeah, I don't know where my arm is, where you are so in sync with your body. But like, I'm sure you've got that high of an expectation for yourself, right? Where it's like, okay, I need to feel like I did in May of 2022 here, right before I went down. So do you get, I, don't, I mean, loaded question here, but like, do you get frustrated when you feel that type of thing? And I mean, do you get like antsy to get back to that full rhythm of where you were? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely frustrating. It's frustrating if you're rehabbing or not, it doesn't really matter. Any, any of those days that it, it's not correct. I think is something that's super frustrating for me. And, and I think, part of that also has to do with the way that I throw and then I'm very, I'm uh, super rhythmic and super twitchy thrower. So it's not like I just put my foot down and kind of create leverage being a smaller guy, kind of my whole career. I've had to figure out all these little tricks and ways to get my body in a certain position to, you know, create the velocity and the, and the stuff that I want. And, um, 
so if one of those little things is off for me, it, it feels gigantic. And, you know, a big part of it too, is in this rehab process for a long time, you don't throw anything but fastballs. And so I, I feel like I'm a guy that doing different things with the ball kind of teaches my body how consistent it needs to be, if that makes sense. And so if you're just throwing fastballs, you know, if you're at a certain level of a, a pitcher, professional pitcher, like you can manipulate a fastball with just your hand and make it come out and look pretty good. Yeah. But like most of us know, like, no, I did that with my wrist. I always try and tell people like, I don't want to make good throws with my wrist. I want to make them with like everything else so that when I want to cut it or run it or throw a breaking ball, that my wrist is kind of independent of that. Yeah. Is there something specific? I know we <clears throat> talked about it a little bit last time, uh, but you know, now that you continue a couple of weeks later now, is, is there anything specific you're, you're hoping to kind of gain or feel or, or get to? I know the bullpen probably is a big thing in a few weeks, but you know, each time you throw, you know, like going into the next time, is there, is there something specific you kind of are hoping to feel? Yeah. I mean, for right now, the biggest focus is just trying to get the ball to spin correctly and carry well. Um, you know, you, you've got limitations on footage and how hard you're allowed to throw right now. Right. So for me, it's like, how efficiently can I do that? Um, as weird as it sounds like if I go to 150 feet, like how softly can I throw the ball on a line? There is kind of my litmus test, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then I've always tried to play catch as if there's a, a pole. So if you think about if I'm playing catch with someone and he's standing in front of a pole, like how long can I keep the ball directly on that line? Gotcha. So I don't want the ball to go right or left. I don't want to cut it or run it. I want it to stay in that line. And so those are kind of like the, I don't know, backyard, like quality metrics that, yeah. that I'm trying to, to figure out or, you know, you've got to be able to do stuff though, that you can assess yourself on in a backyard or, uh, you know, on a football field on an off day, things like that, where, you're not going to have all the contraptions and all that stuff to tell you that, uh, Oh, you're, it's great today. Like we have all that on our starts and stuff, but, yeah. um, uh, you know, 95% of the throws I make, I'm not going to know shit about what they did. Right. Yeah. That's so, how like Cy Young, I was going to say probably measured his induced vertical break. <laughs> Something well, like that. You'd think. I was going to say, I thought the Dodgers gave all their pitchers like track mans and rap sodas for every room of their house. So no matter where you are, like, hey, I, I got to feel something. Like Maybe I, I maybe do. the younger guys. I, I think I was the last year that it wasn't like all super, super techie. Oh, you were the brick and mortar class. I uh, I didn't, no, I just, I, I'll tell you, I didn't know shit about induced vertical break and all that kind of stuff until I got to the big leagues. Like, I didn't know my fastball did certain things. Yeah, so I, I do want to talk about that. Like, maybe this is a next week conversation because I want to talk about a lot of these advanced analytics because it's yeah. it's something that is a hot-button topic and maybe too hot-button of a topic for some people. Like, I feel like it's the analytical revolution, which it doesn't need to be. So I'm curious, like, your take on how much you ingest, you know, what you do. And yeah. I'm so fascinated by that with players. So we'll get into yeah, that. I mean, I, I think my one overarching thing on that is that I think in some ways, like the track man numbers are not necessarily analytics in the term that most people think of them, right? Everyone that thinks of analytics thinks of money ball and positioning and things like that. And certainly there's like performance metrics that are correlated to certain numbers that you can put up on a track man. But 
there's guys that are really, really good in the major leagues and don't have great numbers. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's not an, it's not an end all be all. And at the end of the day, like you can throw 25 inch fastballs if you can't throw strikes, like there, there's just all these precursors to that even mattering really. And then I think it's also somewhat inaccessible to like the average fan or like a young kid because I'll go and try and look up something on a guy and it's difficult for me to find like, consistent reliable numbers on what a guy does because all of these machines spit out something different right right like i can go throw on a track man and let fastball be 98 percent efficient almost every time but the system that we use in the stadium in la tells me it's like 70 percent. so it like the way just the quality metric that you're looking for is so different yeah yeah all right we're gonna get deeper into that in the next couple of weeks because all right we're going to be talking about several guys here that like have totally different pitch profiles, right? Like yep. two different things. What we're going to do is almost like a, a film breakdown. And this is arms forte when it comes to diving in with pitching prospects about like how they maneuver ABs. We're going to go over an AB um, with you against Buster Posey, one of the great catchers of this past generation. Then you got Garrett Cole from earlier this year and Framber Valdez from earlier this year. But first, what are we drinking, Walker Bueller? All right, fellas. The whiskey of the week, bourbon whiskey of the week. I ended up, so we were talking about this earlier. I got the 1792 small batch because I could not find the foolproof out here. You ended up with small batch as well? I had or? a small batch too. Yeah. yeah. I asked. They looked at me like I was crazy. But yeah. So this is it's right kind now. of, but this is kind of a cool point. Like this, so I got this for next week, a little sneak preview for everyone out there. But like I had to pay twice as much of retail for that Eagle Rare out here. It's just the way that it is. And so finding, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but no, it's kind of the cool part of this bourbon thing is finding certain ones that you can't find, or, um, you know, we have been on emails all week and it's like, Hey, we're doing this one. And then it comes down to to it. And you said you could only find a tiny one and you and I couldn't even find the one that we want. It's just like a, it's kind of a difficult thing, but it makes it fun, man. There's so many people at home and kind of everywhere now that are doing this bourbon hunting stuff and, um i think it's really cool it's like for me it's like uh the pokemon cards when i was a kid yeah so some people hunt like baseball cards and pokemon cards you're hunting bourbon and you know what? Oh, i'm a i'm a member of a legitimate website that sends me updates if they find cool stuff for retail in whatever city i'm in dude what's oh, the yeah. website let's give them a- I was oh thinking- my goodness what's it called dan the bourbon man that's that's awesome. Oh, and you have like the 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 Charizard of like Pokemon cards for like whiskeys over here in bourbon. Yeah, that's right? one. That one. We were talking about that. that. I don't think we, you you brought it up before we we got one on the on the podcast last time. But yeah, that that red box right there. That's that's some special stuff. Yeah, that's kind of if you know, you know, kind of box there. Uh, all I'll say on that is, you said you won't even break it out for for the Cy Young Award if you, if you win no. the Cy Young. Not even breaking it out for that. No, the, I think I think when I retire, that might be the one. Oh, Retirement. What about birth of a kid? Um, that'd probably be my wife's choice. I'd say. Yeah, fair. <laughs> She's a, she'll she she can get down with some bourbon too, so she'll get to pick one. Cool. I love it. So I, I found some good uh, notes on this one. This is my favorite line from the whiskeyshelf.com. Unmistakable okay. spice mingles yep. with sweet caramel and vanilla to create a bourbon that is incomparably brash and bold, yet smooth and balanced. Right. So here's, so here's what I like and also don't like about the bourbon review process, right? If I, if I drink f- five different wines, you can taste like – 
very distinct differences in them. But for me, like you have to be so educated in bourbon to taste like little differences. Like to me, the the seventeen ninety two one has a little more like spice on the front and it's sweet. Some of them are just sweet. Some of them are just spicy. But like the majority of bourbons have some sort of vanilla component to them. Like I really like the seventeen ninety two, but for me, it's just I take a sip of it. I know I like it. That's where I'm at. I love it. Easy. Let me try it. Yeah. It doesn't sting as much as uh, what did we have? Um, would you have Weller 107 last week? Yeah, that's a tough one. It probably doesn't have as yeah, much of that sternum tough. sting, right? Yeah. So a lot of that has to do with just the the proof and the alcohol percentage, right? Now you'll see some variants and some low proofs that have a bite to them. But I think the other the other thing is people will confuse the idea of spice with like. Oh, hurts hurts to drink or like very liquor like that it just has a spice to the flavor and i think that's a a big distinction got you okay um and i was telling you about it last week right i our guy our guy at just baseball told us if you put your nose to the glass and open your mouth mm-hmm. like activate the your taste buds with the yep. note that you're supposed to get so. that's the craziest yeah they teach you and i've done a couple of tastings at buffalo trace in the I forget the guy's name. He's been there for like 50 years, but he taught us that trick and it actually like helps take the burn out. Mm. It's like, if there's any burn to it at all, if you do that beforehand, somehow your body like acclimates to it and it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't burn as much. It's a, it's a wild deal. Interesting. Okay. Um, hey, before we get into the video review here, yep. um, what do you like i guess what do you do for fun but also like take me through an off day like take me through a non-walker bueller start day give me at home or on the road like what's your getaway from baseball do you feel like you need to get away from baseball yeah i mean obviously right now it's a little bit different just because i'm not going through the the travel grind and the everyday watching a three-hour game or, or whatnot and it is kind of a it's so again, one of those things like I have the best job in the world, but that is like the only negative of it is that you're sitting like you're watching 162 minus however many games you play in a year. And I don't care how you know, rabid of a baseball fan you are, like you're probably not going to go to 162 games in 180 days. So um, that there's some grind to that. There's a little bit of the travel element that's difficult, but uh, you know, especially in the minor leagues, I, I would say, but for me, man, it's, it's golf and, and, you know, trying to hang out with the family, hang out with the dogs. But I think my biggest outlet now is golf. And it's just something that I like because it's a hundred percent controllable um, by me. And, and it's something that I want to be good at. So, um, you know, there's days you're bad at the, at the field and you have an off day and you want to go do anything else that you can try and be good at. And, you know, the fun thing about golf for me is I can hit one or two good shots and come away like feeling pretty good about it. Right. So, you know, making one or two good pitches in a game, I, I probably had a pretty bad day. <laughs> so I was always thinking about this because I feel like 
it, it's almost like a natural progression of baseball to golf, at least with so many retired players that I know, or, or even a lot of spe- specifically pitchers that are yep. actively playing that, that like to golf. W- what do you think it is that the, the, the tie in, of course, like you could say swinging, but a lot of pitchers are really into the idea of playing golf and really get into it. Like, w- what do you think that transition is from baseball to golf more than a- almost any other hobby I've seen or sport? Yeah. Seen? Um, I think if you want to look at it in like this really nerdy way, it's, it's the fact that all of us are rotational athletes. Yeah. So, so the barrier to like doing certain things in golf is so low because that's what we do for a living. Right. Like, you know, the, the difference in the lower half between a hitter and a pitcher is very minimal until a certain point of a swing or of a throw, like all of us rotate really well. That's like the reason all of us can, can do what we can. And golfers have to rotate and hit the ball. Like, we can all hit the ball far. So there's that initial, like, oh, I, I, I just hit this ball 320 yards. Like, okay, now I got to learn how to do all this other stuff. But it, it's just a it's a simple – I just think it's a lower barrier of entry for us. So do you almost have, like, a checklist that you're going through? Like, all right, I'm on the road. Are you bringing your clubs on the charter, and are you playing on – I don't know, I guess, like, if you guys have a night game, you and the other pitchers that are, you know, scheduled off days in the rotation, like, you guys are going to go play? Or is it, you know, hey, every off day we're getting out, we're trying to go to a different course in L.A.? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think um, just the way baseball is now – Like I know back in the day that was very much how it used to be, like, five pitchers – the one guy who's starting, the other four guys went and played. Like, that was a pretty standard practice. I think now everything's a lot more individual and it just it's just not the same kind of uh, vibe. So, you know, guys will get together on off days, certain cities. If we have certain timing of games or certain off days in certain cities, then, yeah, we'll take the clubs and, uh, you know, a few of our coaches play. And you just try and get together – you got to mix and match whose family is going to be there and who's not and, and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, during, during a season, if we get to the field at one and home at 11 and then you sleep like that eight o'clock to one o'clock is, is such a big deal for everybody. That's like the only time you get with your family and, and stuff like that. So um, you're just trying to figure out, you know, if we can put four guys together that, that don't have their family there or want to play or, or whatever. Gotcha. To that point, is there anyone who like stands out from the pack uh, in terms of, of golf ability? Uh, maybe it's you. I know you're saying you're getting really into it. Is, is there anyone you have like heated battles with down, down the line? Like who stands out on, on the golf course, at least on the Dodgers front? Um, I've played the most with one of our coaches named Jose Vizcaino. He played for a long time in the big leagues, but he's gotten pretty – he's about a four handicap, I think. He might get really insulted that I said that, but – um, I think active guys word on the street is that Will Smith is probably the best player. Will Smith and Shelby Miller I've heard is really good as well. I think they're both two or three handicaps. So I'm like a seven, I'm a seven, six. So we're working on it, but, but you're going to be uh, back like you never left. Like you're going to, you're going to show up. You're going to look Will Smith in the eye and say, dude, <laughs> don't think you're the top dog here. Hey, I'll tell you, I've never seen somebody hit a, hit a golf ball like that kid, man. He absolutely kills a golf ball. Oh man! All right, real quick before we jump into the video, are you a show or movie guy? Like, do you are are you download a couple episodes of a show for the plane? What are you on right now? Um, I'm a poker on the plane guy. I'm still part of the part of the card game on the plane. But um, I'm also one of those weird birds where I've I've watched probably the same six or seven shows over and over and over and over and over. 
Favorite show? Uh, what is it? I just finished Entourage again. I just started Justified again. Justified is probably my favorite show of all time. I would say uh, it's so hard to say that. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, I'm I'm big into. Californication, I've watched a lot. I would say I used I fell asleep to the league for about eight years straight. So I've probably seen. I would conservatively say I've seen every show, every episode of the league, thirty times. Wow. I'm I'm all in on the uh, on like the league type of show when you go to bed, yeah. just in a good mood, can't have bad dreams if you fall asleep watching the league. Some weird dreams potentially, but yes, too bad. Uh, only I, only I think, late seasons. They got a yeah. little weird there at the end. <laughs> yeah, just got it further out there. <laughs> I love it. All right, video breakdown. You guys ready? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so here's how we're going to do it. This is like probably best consumed via YouTube. I've got it up here. So if you're not, if you're listening, you know, go check out our YouTube if you're doing nothing. But I will, I will walk through, you know, pitch type by count. I've got it pulled up here on the portal too. So we're going to talk through these at bats. First one is Walker Buehler, the last time he saw Buster Posey. Then we've got Garrett Cole against Byron Buxton during that complete game shutout he threw at Yankee Stadium against the Twins earlier this year. And then we've got Framber Valdez against Mike Trout as part of that eight-inning, 12-punch-out performance last Tuesday. So we'll start with Walker and Posey. So, Walker, you tell me, like, when to roll and when not to. First pitch of the game here. You remember what happened? You remember why Lamont Wade's at second? Was it a double? Was it a it was a double. It was a double. So you're fresh off a double here, and you're seeing one of the best catchers of the generation. And yeah. So I guess. Off. So yeah. I guess before before the bat runner on second, nobody out. Posey, pretty unselfish player. Um, he's gonna be trying to hit the ball the other way, either in the air or on the ground. That's just kind of the kind of player he is, and he also doesn't strike out much. So. Like this at bat is a difficult one because A he controls his hands really well. So the rollover to shortstop is probably not gonna happen. It may with nobody on, but not in this situation. Yeah. Which is like the best case, you know, best outcome you could get is like the hard ground ball to shortstop to keep him at second or third, whatever. But Buster Posey, it just he doesn't do that. So at this at bat, it's kind of strikeout or bust, or you're trying to get a ball in the air shallow or in the infield kind of thing, which is also a, a very low percentage outcome. Got you. So you start them off here. You go first pitch, slider away for ball one. Yep. So you're trying to get a chase or just, oh, well, maybe he's trying to go over there and it's not a fastball and that's like, maybe the only way you get like the pole rollover. Got you. Okay. So I miss. Yeah. So counts one and oh, you come back, you go another slider that he pokes foul, but again, away. Yeah. But you can see also where, where the, I, he fouls off a couple balls like this. You can keep it rolling. Like the swing is oriented towards hitting the ball the other way. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So we move to one and one here. And the one-one pitch, you go fastball so, off the plate. Yeah, now like that's trying to freeze him, right? Because you know he's trying to go over there. He's seen two sliders in a row. Like that's a perfect. I'm trying to throw a perfect or bust pitch there. 
So, Aram, it's pretty clear that like he's got a plan of attack right now. Yeah. So that, that's actually right before that pitch. I would I was about to ask you like you threw the second one. You locate it really well. Like, is there any thought in tripling up on that, or do you just not triple up against a guy like Buster Posey? He sees three in a row. He can start to do what he wants because yeah, the first one you tug a little bit. Like second one's like right exactly where you want it to be. Do, do you think about going back to it again? Yeah, I mean, I, I think looking at it now, however many months it's been, like the only thing I would do, I would, the logical thing would be throw a two seamer in mm-hmm. instead of trying to go away, right? Because if he's trying to push the ball the other way and he's even late, not late, like people will always think that's a late foul ball that he hit on 1 0. Like that's not late. He's under because the ball is spinning a certain, you can just tell when guys are late. And when they're just trying to push the ball, not push it, but hit it that way. Yeah. So to speed them up even more, I probably should have gone in. Got you. Okay. So you go four seamer away, counts two and one. Yeah. And then you come back, you go slider again that he pokes foul, almost same exact right. spot. But, but got away with it, right? Like that one, you can see it's so much closer right. to being a line drive, you know, the other way for a hit. That's not even, that's not like, a, oh, he flares it. Like that's a hit. So I get away so, with a mistake and what's there. What's the feedback? That, yeah, so so you say you get away with a mistake there. Like, what's the feedback you get on that swing too? Because you talk about how he kind of misses under it the first time. That time he's a little bit more on it, but it's a pretty good location. What what do you get from that swing in terms of feedback on what he's doing now? I think the risk reward there is that's probably going to be the last strike slider I throw, mm-hmm. and I got away with it, right? Like. Now I got the second strike, but you're also risking that that ball ends up fair, which is pretty. He was pretty close to making it fair. Got you, got you. All right, so two two. How concerning is this? He takes the base, but you execute that slider exactly like that's the last stri- slider for a strike that you threw in two one. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the exact slider you want to throw, but that's probably like a little lack of focus, little lack of knowledge, like Lamont Wade. I think this was his second, first or second year in the major leagues where didn't really think about that. I mean, Buster Posey's at the plate and there's some things going on, right? But like, I can't let him do that because what just happened is Posey's at bat is now successful regardless, right? Like Lamont did it, made it happen. But like the only decent for both of us outcome in this at bat is he moves him over. Mm-hmm. And he's dark, he just got moved over. So, and, like, there's very little successful outcomes except a strikeout for me here. And I was about to ask you that because now his job just got a lot easier. I don't know if the infield's in or, in or back, but regardless, if the infield's back, any ball in play pretty much either on the ground or in the outfield's, you know, a run. Like, are, are you just selling out for the punch out now and, and risking potential? Yeah, you have to. Early? You have to. I think for me, at least the way that I've always kind of thought is – on three two, three two, nobody out. Somebody at third. I'm gonna try and strike him out every time, because then at least I have a double play set up, and then you're talking efficiency of pitches, right? Because I'm gonna have to throw this seventh pitch of the inning. If I strike him out, then I'm in a situation where I've got to go to two more hitters. At least the second one, I've got to try and strike him out. So then your pitch count is going like this. If I throw a pitch to try and strike him out and walk him there is a small percentage chance, but a chance that I could throw one pitch and get two outs, give up the run. But my pitch count as a starting pitcher is still in that 15 to 17 range. 
Got you. Okay, so you went slider, slider, four-seamer, and now back-to-back sliders again. So on three, mm-hmm. two, you go four-seamer up. 96, top of the zone, he fouls it back. <laughs> get to that. Yeah. So that's the first fastball for a strike I've thrown in this at-bat, right? So that kind of changes things now because – He's really only seen sliders and ball and fastballs for a ball. Throwing that one that's elevated, like my slider doesn't come out of that area much, or my good sliders don't. Like I'm trying to play that off the down away, middle, middle down away fastball, right? By throwing that pitch, which is where there really is the only swing and miss you can get against him is up in, up away, because he just handles everything really, really good down. Right. So now I'm in a decent spot, even though he fouled it off. So then I go cutter this next pitch, which he hasn't seen. And it's also something that this may have been the first cutter I've ever thrown him because he actually handles cutter really well. And I don't throw many cutters to righties, but I don't, I think at this point, like the, that slider that I said, I can't throw a strike slider again. That's why you go into cutter here. Got you. So you, you tighten it up a little bit. So, I mean, it's a totally different look, and that's a little off the plate, but you got him lunging. Like, dude, people don't get Buster Posey swinging. Yeah, I was like about that. to say, Buster Posey doesn't take swings like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm, this isn't a toot my own horn thing and all, but Cutter's probably my best pitch, and I don't throw it to righties much. And I've faced him a lot of times and never thrown him that. So it actually has nothing to do with me. It's just he had no expectation that that was what was going to happen, right? He thought that was the same fastball up and away and for a pretty, for a pretty long time. And and would you say the only reason you you went to the cutter right on right there was because of how deep into the at-bat you ended up getting where he's seen a little bit of everything and saw the fastball first strike? Uh, Well, I'm going to touch on that in this, in the next clip. It's more the familiarity, right? That it's not about that at bat. It's that I face Buster 30 times or something like that. Right. And so divisions tight man on third, nobody out. Like he hasn't seen a cutter. He hasn't really seen many curveballs because he handles both of those pitches. Like I'm going to throw a cutter because the cutter has a higher probability of getting a ground ball to third base, which is like a weird low, low probability outcome. That's positive for me. Yep. The curveball, him being slower and him being a veteran, he'll flick it because he can see it for a long time. So if you're going, if you're looking for something else, it's cutter or curveball. And I think cutter has more different. I, I kind of think of it less of uh, percentages, like oh, thirty percent of the. If I threw this a hundred times, thirty percent. I think of like how many ways can this go good for me right now? Mm-hmm. And so I think cutter had a lot better, a lot more options for things going good. Got you. Okay. That was Walker Bueller punching out Buster Posey. Now we're going to Garrett Cole punching out Byron Buxton. Note the pitch count here. Top seven, Garrett Cole on his way to a complete game shutout is at 84 pitches to open the seventh inning. So Mm -hmm. are you thinking like, I got to be economical here if you're Garrett Cole? No, I mean, you're typically you're trying to go 15 per. So through six, if he's at 90, he's in a pretty good spot. I think if you're at 90 through six, you're not thinking complete game at all. And obviously I don't, I don't know how he thinks really, but for me, like six at 90 shutout, like they haven't scored. Cool. I, I probably throw 70 or I could probably throw seven, maybe get into the eighth. Right. Yeah. But being six below that, if you can go and have like a 12 pitch inning, 
you're kind of putting yourself like below that threshold. But in today's game, man, if you're over 90 at the end of an inning, it's hard to imagine that you're going to finish the game or go back out for the next one. But that's why they pay him, you know, $35 million a year or whatever. 100%. So um, on, yeah. on this at bat, though, just play it straight through because I want to try and because I, I haven't faced Buxton maybe ever. And I haven't gotten to watch Cole much, but I'll tell you what I see from this at bat. Got you. So Cole starting the seventh, 85th pitch is 98 off the plate away. Buxton spits. So now he comes back 1-0. Buxton chases a curve away. Knuckle curve 85. That thing's hard as hell, man. I love that pitch. 1-1 goes to it again, and Buxton chases low. So one and two on back-to-back curveballs, and he dots 98 lower outside corner. That was domination from him in four pitches. Yeah, so the thing on that, as I said, I don't think I've ever faced Buxton. Watching that at bat, to me, it's curveball over slider to him. So he must handle hard slider pretty well because Cole throws a lot of right-on-right 89-mile-an-hour sliders, right? So for him to throw curveball, which we've seen him as he's gotten older, throw less and less and throw more sliders – there's got to be something either that game that day or in this matchup that for him curveball is way better than slider for him to go back to back. Right. Or they just like the reaction they got on the first time. But what I think makes this one, two pitch so good is that he's he gave himself probably one chance to throw a perfect fastball and he did, but that curveball is coming out of such a higher tunnel. Like, for instance, if, if those were both sliders and not curveballs, that probably would have been a heater up right. because you're trying to create some separation. But to get a freeze like that, that curveball starting 12 inches, 15 inches higher than that fastball. Right. So, so that's why you get the freeze. So common thinking that I've heard, and like if you want to sequence, you know, a forcing fastball off of a curveball that has a bit more like of that hammer 12-6 type movement, it's follow up that curveball or follow up a high fastball with that curveball because yeah. they start almost same spot and then they break off. So yeah. if he goes elevated fastball there, you're probably getting a swing from Buxton. Right? Yeah, that's my assumption. Or that's like the, listen, all these things are different. We never know what Buxton is looking for, what he's thinking, right? But in in kind of theoretical pitching, like the only the spot to throw a freeze fastball is down away out from those two, and the spot to throw a swing fastball is at the top. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. But on a but on a slider, it's probably different, right? Because if those were both sliders, that's where the slider was coming out of, right? So you'd think the swing fastball is down away. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Okay, let's jump to Framber. This is a four-pitch punch out of Mike Trout. He went eight innings of one-run ball. He struck out 12 against the Angels. You want me to play this at bat through? Uh, yeah, so his best pitch, curveball. And for a, for a while, he's been kind of fastball curveball, sinker curveball only. So yeah. Mike Trout's the best guy in baseball hitting the fastball down. So he went eight on 12, like, there's something special going on with his fastball or else these balls are hammered. Like you don't really throw those to trout twice. And then this is a new wrinkle, right? This is his new cutter slider thing. So the reason I was talking about familiarity, right? They're in the same division. They've played each other a lot. 
Valdez has faced this guy every time he's played the Angels his entire career. This may be the first time Trout has ever seen him throw that pitch. Interesting. Okay, so he goes curveball at 78, missed off the plate away. Yeah. Sinker at 96, low and in. Sinker yeah. at 97, just below the zone. He gets foul balls on both Right, like sinkers. pause it right there or go back to the last pitch. Yeah. Like if you look at somebody's heat chart, there's nobody in the world that has a hotter heat chart than Mike Trout fastball right in that area. Oh, it's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. So he goes back-to-back sinkers there. Yeah. And, I mean, those are like blistered foul balls, both of them. Right, and you can see he has no expectation that those are foul balls on either of those swings, right? He swings and he's kind of like – in. it's not like he's following it right off the jump or you'll see guys trying foul balls off. Like, Trout thinks he's going to hammer both those balls. Got you. So it takes a special sinker to make him do that. Yeah, and, I like, I think Framber has a great sinker in general, but I think even for him, he probably had to have a really good one for him going that night because – Mike's probably faced him 25 times. So it kind of what this, what this always made me think of, because I think about this with pitchers that excel at maybe what the hitters also strength might be. And this is a perfect example. Framber's at the best at the bottom of the zone, as you mentioned, and Mike Trout, that's where he eats. How do you balance the, you know, pitching to your strength while versus, you know, pitching to the hitter's strength, if there's an overlap in that regard, like there is right here. And this is the be- arguably one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter of the modern era. And here's Framber still pitching to his strength. Yeah. Uh, you know, certain guys can really do that. Obviously, Clayton has been the best example I've ever seen of that, of pitching to his strengths almost universally. Um, for me, it's a little different. I, I think, at least me personally, that's how I've always tried to pitch is, be able to throw enough pitches that I can kind of throw to everybody's weakness. But like Mike Trout's a hard to bat no matter what you have. And he's been tough on me because there's very few things that I feel very comfortable doing. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a tip of the cap to, to Framber for going right with what he does well. But I, I also would venture to say that 96 and 97 were probably two of the best fastballs that he threw in this game. And it's in the fourth, like he feels good. He knows what he's doing. He's loose, but he's not tired, right? Yeah. And then he unleashes these 97-mile-an-hour sinkers, right? So there's toying with it. And, you know, Trout probably walks up saying, like, all right, he's 93, 95. And then he goes 96, 97 with real sink. Like, it, it, it is tough. It's tough to handle, right? I love this. And then he, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I love these three matchups stacked the way they are because Cole, it's two pitches that he goes to and gets Buxton, like two good yep. fastballs, two good curveballs. With you, you have a battle against Buster. You get creative for the punch out, right? You yep. do something that is against typical thinking. With Frambert, you mentioned, like this is creativity in a nutshell here. You're facing yep. the best hitter on the planet. He fouls off your best pitch twice after you missed outside with like – I, I mean, his curveball is his best pitch. So you missed outside with your best pitch. Then mm-hmm. you go to your bread and butter, your sinker. And, I mean, like, again, two hardest sinkers that he probably throws this night, and, and yep. he laces him foul. So he gets creative. Like, he forces creativity in his arsenal in the fourth pitch of an at-bat to open <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can see a lot of lefties have been – even Julio and Framber both put in this cutter-slider hybrid left-handed starting pitcher – pitch into their arsenal right like 
you'll just see a lot of guys put the same pitch in in certain years because the swings and the approaches are are dictating that. Right? For you know, for me, it was always I had the hard slider, and then I turned it into more of a cutter because the game dictated I needed to get lefties out at a better rate and get them on the ground. So that cutter was a big thing. Same thing with these guys. But for all you know, like Framber after last season went home and literally thought, how can I get Mike Trout out? Like, if you want to boil it down, like, yeah, it'd be great for him to have a little cutter in general. But for him to go and work on it, it's probably burned into his mind that on one, two, after I threw two sinkers to Trout, I don't know where else to go. And if I had that cutter, that's what I could throw and then he executes it, right? Because obviously he's dialed in. He goes eight on 12 with nothing. And, you know, like, but that's kind of the, that's what the offseason's for. That's what spring training's for. That, like, I guarantee you, if he faced him in spring training, he would never throw on that pitch. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, like, for, for instance, I found a changeup a couple of years ago, and every lefty that I thought saw me well, like Charlie Blackman has always hit me well. In spring training one year, I threw him nothing but changeups because hmm. I didn't. I knew it wasn't very good. I knew it didn't matter. I probably wasn't going to throw him any of them, but I wanted him to think that I was going to throw him changeups all year. Interesting. I love that. I love the mind games. So it's part of it. But no, three good at bats. Obviously, three three pitcher on top of bats, which I like. But no. It's, it's interesting. It's funny you said that was Buster Posey's last at bat. I'm going to get creamed for this. Not creamed, but Buster Posey's last at bat. I think he hit his last homer in the big leagues off of me in the playoffs, which it's kind of a – that's a weird one. Maybe when I look back, it'll be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Buster Posey's last homer was off of me, but it was in the playoffs. So it did hurt. <laughs> I'm sure it hurt, man. <laughs> I get it. Hey, Walker Bueller, this was freaking awesome, man. We, we've we held you long enough. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, yeah? Perfect. Sounds good, fellas. Okay. So he just walked us through a pitching slash scouting masterclass. And now we talk about the weekend that was. We've got five things we want to hit on here. Spencer Strider, Bryce Miller, Mitch Keller, Ronald Acuna, and Drew Rasmussen in the macro here. Let's start with Strider because that is the thing, man. I mean, this guy, his month of May, if I have this right, Spencer Strider, as I go to the portal, I mean, he's got like 30 punch outs and four walks in three starts in May. He was coming off 10 Ks, no walks. He went six innings of one run ball against Toronto. He punched out 12. This guy's on a different planet right now. Yeah, in 46 innings, he's got 79 strikeouts. So I think if you do the math, he's on pace for over 300 strikeouts this season. And you sent me kind of the list of what you wanted to talk about. And I wanted to make a point that I want to talk about Spencer Strider right now. Because I think at this point, he has to be considered one of, if not the best pitcher in baseball. And I was watching Once Upon a Time in Queens last night for the third time through. I absolutely love that documentary on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, we even got to speak to the uh, director of that um, documentary on this podcast, which was awesome. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think that Spencer Strider is our current version of Dwight Gooden, Doc Gooden, now. It's a very big comparison to make. 
Yeah. Because Doc Gooden from 1984 to 1986 was quite possibly one of the best pitchers to ever pick up a baseball. It was 250 innings, 275 strikeouts. In 1985, he went 24 and 4 with a 153 ERA through 276 innings and struck out 268 batters. He was arguably, that was arguably the best season ever thrown by a major league pitcher. Now, Strider doesn't have that quite level of dominance, but I was trying to rack my brain last night of a pitcher that has been more dominant than Strider has in these past couple of seasons, working really with two pitches. And the reason I, again, make that comparison is it's the same thing Dwight Gooden had. It was the high 90s fastball, with unbelievable amounts of life. Spencer Strider, normally 23 inches of induced vertical break. If they could measure it back in 1985 with Doc Gooden, I, I guarantee it would be the same thing or even more. Then it was Doc Gooden's devastating breaking ball, that curveball. Strider has the same thing with his slider. I was trying to rack my brain of pitchers like that who are just utterly dominant with two pitches and batters in the box look like they don't even have a chance. Yeah. And then Strider just sprinkles in a changeup for fun. But at this point, Spencer Strider again has 79 strikeouts in 46 innings, pitching to a 2-5-1 ERA. The level of dominance is not unprecedented because we've seen DeGrom do it. Yeah. But I think it's kind of unprecedented when you consider that it's with two pitches and you just can't hit it. No, I mean, simply put, it's I've got two speeds and I'm going to beat the shit out of you with those two speeds. Yeah. Like that's Strider. You know what I mean? Th there are guys that I think are artists. And I think that to a certain extent, Strider is an artist. But what he is doing is utterly demolishing opposing hitters. Like, it, it's brute force that's killing them at this point. He's mid to high 90s with the heater. You mentioned the IVB's absolutely nuts. The slider's at 85. The change-up's at 86. Again, he's thrown about 275 sliders. He's thrown 37 change-ups. But guess what, man? Opponents are whiffing 56% of the time against the slider. They're whiffing two-thirds of the time against the change-up when they do swing. And then the fastball, like, opponents are slugging under 280 against it. So every pitch is ridiculously dominant. No like hits two, against his changeup. They're two 80-grade pitches. That's yes. what I'm trying to find. So, like, who else in the past 40 years has been had two 80-grade I, I pitches and that I think dominant? Consistently, the best pitchers in baseball have two 80-grade pitches. Yeah, I do think DeGrom. that's true. Or they have four 60-grade pitches, 65-grade pitches. That, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, who else has been this dominant with just two pitches? I mean, yeah. it's Grom, it's Strider, it's, and then I went back. I was like, it's Doc Gooden. I mean, who else? Yeah, I mean, Scherzer, Scherzer at certain points had not two pitches. pitches. No, two no, pitches. I'm not saying that they have two eighty grade pitches. I'm just saying, oh, with two this level of dominance with just two. Pitches. Got it, got it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, and that's why I think that the Doc Gooden comp is a good one. Um, because I think that the narrative around starting pitching has changed, right? If you only have two pitches, you were a bullpen guy before 10 years ago. That's what I'm saying. Five years ago, like as recently, honestly, as a half decade ago.
And I also want to give Doc Gooden his shine. Oh, yeah. Because awesome. Strider has not touched that level of dominance yet. No, but Strider's had, also 24 years old. Strider's also 24 years old. But Doc Gooden came up as a 20-year-old and rattled off three straight 200-plus inning seasons with 250 strikeouts with ERAs in a similar range. In 1985, 1.53 ERA. So... I'm just saying this is kind of our first since Doc Gooden. He's not quite Doc Gooden yet. Like, we become prisoners of the moment when we see something like this, and it's like, oh, my God, is this the best we've ever seen? No, it's not. And it's not even quite DeGrom, but what he's doing is he's starting to put himself in that conversation. More often than not, I'm hyperbolic on this podcast. I freak out about things that you don't necessarily need to freak out about. I just love the game of baseball so much that I find myself doing that. Really looking into Doc Gooden and then looking into Strider. It's like, first of all, holy shit, Doc Gooden. Yeah. Second point. Holy shit. I can see Strider entering that type of conversation. That's the thing, man. And like, obviously we're playing in the scope of a career, small sample size theater. But if we're going to play it with Jordan Alvarez, you got to start playing it with a guy like Strider. That's what I'm saying. So um, Strider at this point, third in all of baseball in batting average against. There are three guys with a batting average against under 170. Dustin May is at 171. Shout out Dustin May. Um, Spencer Strider has a 169 batting average against. The leader is Shohei Otani at a buck 43. 152, second in baseball. Do you know who it is? Bryce Miller. Tyler goddamn Wells. Tyler Goddamn Wells, lowest whip in baseball, too. Another just beautiful performance against the Pirates. Seven innings. I think he gave up one hit. Masterful. Who needs G-Rod when you've got Tyler Wells? That's what I'm saying. When we said, who would you start in a must-win game for the Orioles? I'm like, that bad man, Tyler Wells, he, he doesn't strike out a ton, even though we did against the Pirates. But soft contact, and he, he just gets outs. But one more thing about the Strider thing. Max Freed has been one of the best pitchers in baseball now for, what, three, four, four years. years? Yeah. Strider has passed him, and I don't even think that's an argument at this point. And it has nothing to do with Max Freed. It's just we're seeing a rocket ship take place. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the question is, and, like, it's it's all narrative-based, obviously, but, you know, who does Snit give the ball to opening day, assuming full health next year? I mean, it has – I mean – you could give I think it it's free because of precedent, because right? of precedent. But the better pitcher is Strider, and it's, yeah, it's not that it's not that close, but it's kind of not that close. And that that doesn't have anything to do with Freed. It's just Strider is becoming in a tier of his own in, in like the with moment, the Degrom in the moment. You know what I'll compare it to is the Lester Jake Arietta conversation. Arietta mm-hmm. for three hundred and sixty five days was the best pitcher on the planet. Like he was Doc Gooden level dominant for for that brief. John Lester. No, 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 Arietta. Oh, Arietta. Yeah, he year. was unbelievable. Yeah, yes. like Arietta was for 365 days, the best pitcher on the planet. No other argument could be made. But Lester was always given the 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 yeah. one, the ace tab, because there was precedent there. I thought I'm you not said saying... that Lester was like no, fuck not no, good. No, I was like, no, no, no. I, did we watch the save John Lester? <laughs> <laughs> um no, but I think that's kind of like what we're talking about here. Obviously, I view Strider in a way higher light than Arietta because Arietta went through some trials and tribulations before then. But I shout out Strider, man. What he's doing is utterly incredible. Um, second takeaway, Bryce Miller, who you mentioned, Seattle mm-hmm. Mariners right-hander through his first three career starts, is 2-0 and 
19 innings, one earned run, seven hits. Opponents are hitting 111 against him. He struck out 18. He's walked one. That's a whip. Walks and hits per innings pitched of 0.42. Bryce Miller is doing what Strider did last year. He was the under the radar rookie arm that popped out of kind of nowhere mm-hmm. and you latch on and you say, okay, I'm ready for this guy. And, and if you are ever going to think about sprinkling a little bit of rookie of the year money on a pitcher, Yoshida has been great, but Bryce Miller might be the guy. Yeah. Bryce Miller might be that guy because he has, one of the best fastballs already in Major League Baseball. And I don't just say that. Aram gave him an 80-grade fastball in the minor leagues. Doesn't just throw those around. I do, You've been editing his stuff for a very long time now. What are the 80-grade tools that he's given out that you remember? Um, C.J. Abrams had 80 speed. O'Neill Cruz had 80 raw power. Um think jordan walker has 80 raw power and the 280 grade fastballs that i've seen i honestly think the 280 grade pitches that i've seen are mason miller's fastball and bryce miller's fastball exactly bryce miller throws his fastball 63.3 percent of the time hitters know it's coming right because his off speed is good but it's not elite and they still can't hit it opponents are hitting 093 off of his fastball. He's thrown the pitch 157 times. He's surrendered four hits. You have to have a special fastball when hitters know it's coming 63% of the time. And it's not 100. It's 95 to 97. But it's just so otherworldly good that he can get by with even average command. It's the same kind of thing as Christian Javier, but this fastball is better than Javier's, at least in my opinion. The shape is a little bit better. The velocity is higher. I mean, this is as good of a fastball as we have in Major League Baseball. And when you have one of the best pitches in the game, you can really do special things. Yeah. And I remember Aram talking about maybe his command would be a little bit spotty when he came to the Major Leagues. It's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. One walk. He's throwing strikes. He's going after guys. It's confidence in the stuff. It's amazing to watch. I mean, it it truly is. It's like we are sort of watching the next Strider. Now, the the thing is, Miller doesn't have the slider that Strider does. He just doesn't. And he doesn't even throw his fastball as hard as Strider. So that comparison, we need to see much more. But I see what you're saying, right? It's fastball slider. It's incredible amounts of life. I'm just I'm just saying like it took until a couple starts in for people to say, wow, this guy might be real. And and I think we knew because, you know, our arm keyed us in to this guy. But I think we knew that there was a possibility for something special. Um, and I think Braves fans knew from the jump that there was a possibility of something special with Strider last year. But it, it took a couple starts for the national baseball audience to set their focus on Strider last year. It, it took a couple starts for you to say, damn, like this cat can throw. I think Bryce Miller, after this outing in Detroit that he just had this weekend, 
a lot of people in Kansas City, Missouri and Jacksonville, Florida and Boston, Massachusetts are going to be looking at this Mariners right-hander and saying, damn, this cat can throw a baseball. And that, I think, is the turn that we saw from Strider four or five starts into last year. And I think we're we're going to be talking about that four or five starts into Bryce Miller's. Um, two quick numbers on Bryce Miller. We said it one walk in 19 innings. He's faced he's he's faced 64 hitters in his big league career. He has walked one. No hit by pitches. You can do the percentage if you want. The walk rate is very, very low. 1.6%. Um, yes. 19 innings, 248 pitches, 178 for strikes. That's a 72% strike rate. He's throwing strikes 72% of the time with an 80-grade fastball. One of the best fastballs in Major League Baseball being landed for a strike all the time. So you're not going to rest the bat on your shoulder until you get first base. And chances are you're not putting that thing in play. And Bryce Miller looks like the next piece to that Mariners rotation. And especially with Ray out, if we're looking at a four-man rotation in the postseason, if they if the bats get hot of Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby, and Bryce Miller, they can win a shit ton of games in October. They can win a shit ton of games. That's my game plan. I got Mariners to win the World Series at like plus 2,000. We're hoping. And I bet you weren't even factoring Bryce Miller in as the postseason four. I wasn't factoring was the postseason four, no doubt. But <laughs> what I was factoring in was the pitching depth and that I was right. hoping that one person would spawn. Whether, whether it was Hancock guy. or, yes. yeah, exactly. Or Miller, and it happens to be Miller now, and I'm so happy to see it. And I keep thinking to myself, I want to see Bryce Miller against a fastball hunting team, right? Because I bet on the over, and I lost this bet. It was Strider against Bassett. And the reason I bet it was I was like, all right, the Braves bats are pretty familiar with Chris Bassett. Yeah. And the Blue Jays are maybe one or two in baseball against fastballs all season long. So I was like, Strider might struggle a little bit. If he throws it 60% of the time, like they might catch up to yeah. two or three. Yeah. yeah, maybe they hit a home run with two runners on, and it's three. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. but I lost that. be a three-run homer. Exactly. Yeah. Strider still dominated with that fastball. And I think there's just some fastballs in Major League Baseball that it doesn't really matter who you face. Yeah, Like maybe you can get lucky and hit that home run and connect with it. But I keep thinking to myself, I want to see Bryce Miller against really good fastball teams. And I'm like, sometimes it's just so good that no matter what, you don't really have a chance. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, I don't think it matters for Strider. I don't think it matters for Garrett Cole when his fastball is totally on. And we could be looking at the next fastball dominant guy that that it really doesn't matter. Next thing for me, um, the Mitch Keller we were promised has arrived. And I'm not talking the tread video Mitch Keller because he's not 101. Like, don't, you know, we're not leaning into that meme right now. I'll lean into it any other time. But this guy followed up a complete game shutout with a 13 strikeout performance in Baltimore against one of the better offenses in baseball to this point. Like this guy, if you look at what he's done over the last 30 starts in his big league career, he's rocking an ERA well under three. I think it's in, I think it's in like the two eight range right now. I mean, Mitch Keller, dude, like this guy looks like a one and he looks like an extension candidate for the pirates right now. And I know that Ben Charrington has started dialogue with Keller's camp about that. He was saying that on his radio show, like nothing, you know, in advanced stages or anything, but he said, we are certainly open to making Mitch Keller a pirate for a long time. I think that I this, I think that this is a great extension candidate for the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
I totally agree. It's not like Mitch Keller came out of nowhere, right? Like he's a second round pick. It was him and Glass now as the next great pitchers in the Pirates he was a top prospect. Yeah, top prospect, and then he's just finally found it. And you got to give him a lot of credit. Like we make fun of him for the tread videos, and we shouldn't even really be making fun of Mitch Keller. We should be making fun of the reaction of it. Because every single season we see him touching 103 in bullpens and people are like, all right, this is the Mitch Keller that, you know, will throw eight straight no hitters because nobody else can hit that fastball. It's not 103, but he is touching upwards of 97, 98, 99 miles an hour. It's good, hard stuff. But the thing is, which is so cool about him is that it's not just the four seamer. He has three variations of fastballs and the cutter is really a new pitch for him right? Didn't really throw it at all last year, or at least it never came up on Savant. This year, he's throwing it 24% of the time. Opponents are only hitting 182 against it, but then he has this disgusting sinker that he throws at 94 miles an hour that's also getting hitters off balance, but like he's a six-pitch guy, and the velocities are all over the place. We talk about it. I mean, you talked about with Reed Detmers, right? The three speeds. Like he's 96 with a fastball. He's 78 with a curveball. He's 83 with a sweeper. There was a 91 mile an hour changeup for fun, but then he's got these different variations. Like you can't sit on anything. Everything is hard and the command is there. That's the sign of of an ace. When you have all these different components, you have command, you have pitches that garner large whiff rates. You have different speeds. You have... I think I already said this unbelievable command because he has had unbelievable command. You know, when he's a big guy, he's 6'2", 6'3", 220. He has all the makings of what you look for in an ace. And he is showing us why he could be that next guy. Remember, Jacob deGrom became that guy at 26. Yeah. Like Mitch Keller might just become that guy at 27. Yeah. And like, obviously you don't want to put Boom, like you are labeled as a top five arm in baseball. Top what 10 we were saying is he has the components of it. He has the components of a guy that can um, be in the Cy Young conversation. And I was watching the post-game interview that AT&T, Sportsnet, Pittsburgh, I don't know the exact name of the station, but I was watching the Pirates telecast and the post-game interview was talking to Austin Hedges. And the last question to Hedges was, how good can Mitch Keller be? And Hedges his battery mate, his teammate, obviously he's going to have bias, but he said Cy Young. Like yeah. he can he can be a Cy Young caliber pitcher. And I heard that and I didn't say, dude, come on, like stop spewing the propaganda. That's Austin like, Hedges. You're he kind of right. Like that guy can't hit, but he's employed by a major league baseball team because he knows pitchers so well. So when Austin yeah. Hedges says that a guy can win a Cy Young, I believe him. And I, I believe think that. I think that that's solidified for me that Mitch Keller has Cy Young stuff. Nine starts so far this year. He's five and one with an ERA under two, four, 56 and two thirds innings, 69 punch outs. Nice season so far for Mitch Keller. Um, And then I want to talk about last year, the splits as I get those up real quick, because post all-star break Keller 13 starts a three Oh nine ERA too. So this guy followed up in ERA right at three after the all-star break. And his last 22 starts, he's rocking an ERA under three. This is the maturation of Mitch Keller. Welcome to the Mitch Keller show. Welcome to the Mitch Keller show. And one more thing about Austin Hedges. It's not like Gary Sanchez just came out and said, yeah, I think that Mitch Keller can be a Cy Young candidate. Exactly. No, he knows his shit. 
think about it. Are there any other catchers that you believe more in baseball about a pitcher than Austin Hedges? Like maybe JT Realmuto. I believe Adley. Maybe like a Jan Gomes. I mean, I don't know like other catchers who I would trust more their evaluation of a pitcher, specifically catching him, than Austin Hedges. Like the Cleveland has a pitching lap. But there's a reason why that pitching lab was also so successful. It's because of Austin Hedges. They didn't just put him in the lineup for fun. He is, and we've talked to other catchers, like the gold standard of defense. And when he says that, like, I can't think of another catcher who I would trust more. Yeah, I guess JT jumps to mind. Um, the other one that just immediately jumped to mind was Adley Rutschman, but Rutschman's so young. Yeah, he's so his... young. Yeah. Shit, That's I, why I said Jan Gomes, not like as a troll, but he's just been around, caught so many right, guys and right. is always like he's also in the lineup, not as a joke, like he's in the lineup for a reason. Exactly. And the Cubs have been great on the mound. Exactly. You can I, credit I, think I still I think I still trust Yachty with my life when it comes to pitcher critiques. Like if Yachty well, wanted to lead, say, right. Exactly. But like if Yachty shot us a text and was like, hey, I, I got to talk about some of the best arms in baseball. I'm like, dude, whatever you oh. say, I just I have full yeah. belief in you. Uh, he can say anything he wants and I believe it. Exactly. All right. Two more things for me. Is Acuna the NL MVP like play? Is that is that the right move here? Acuna stole bag 16 and 17. Ronald mm-hmm. Acuna Jr. feels like the runaway favorite for National League MVP right now. But may I present you with the hottest hitter in baseball over the last two weeks, Padres outfielder Juan Soto. Soto has, I think he's got a 500 OBP over the last two weeks. He's hitting around 360 to 400. He's got a a 243 WRC plus in May. In May. Okay, so Soto's heating up at the right time. Soto's OPS is over 900. Juan Soto could be making that jump after falling on the MVP ladder. You think it's Acuna's to lose. You're shaking your head. I think it's Acuna's to lose, and the odds would greatly reflect that. So on BetMGM right now, Ron Acuna Jr. is plus 160 to win the MVP. Pete Alonso is next at plus 850. Yeah, And it's Tatis, Mookie, Soto, all above plus 1,000. Acuna is showing us why he is might be the best all-around player in Major League Baseball because it almost like Soto might have a better offensive season like from a on-base percentage from a WRC plus angle maybe from a power angle but I don't even know if it's going to be the power angle because Acuna could steal 50 bases and hit 30 home runs while playing a really good right field like Acuna hit a ball 470 feet a couple days ago while leading the league in steals. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And the Braves are going to run away with the East, or at least I think they will. You know, the Padres and the Dodgers are going to be in that constant fight to win the division. The Braves will most likely end up with the best record in the National League. And if Acuna stays healthy, he's having a runaway MVP season. Now, it's not worthy of a bet because at that value, like it's like betting on Otani, right? Like even Otani right now, <laughs> Otani is minus 110 to win the MVP. <laughs> and like that doesn't make any like that doesn't make any sense to put money yeah. into. No, no, that's basically saying that you think Otani has above a 50% chance of winning the MVP. Yeah. And so- he's maybe the only player of ever who could be in that conversation. 
But from a value perspective, that's bad. Acuna, even from a value perspective at plus 160, you just can never do it because of injuries. But I think it's it's not a lock. It isn't. But I don't think anybody can catch him. I don't even think whatever Juan Soto does, he doesn't have the defense. He doesn't have the base running acumen. Like he just, I don't think he'll ever catch him. Yeah, so I, I was just going to ask you straight up, like, do you think that's a, a smart-ish move? Plus 160, nah. No. I'm I'm hoping, you know what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping he goes 0 for 20 in his next 20 at-bats, so then he can go to plus 300 or something, then I can pounce. Like, and that's what I'm looking for at this value. It's it's just not there for me. Okay, got you. Um, Yeah, I still like my Tatis pick in, in the preseason. Um, yeah, he's fourth or he's fifth right now in odds. Yeah, like I think Tatis makes a lot of sense, man. And, and this guy, I mean, he's going to run together a couple of multi-homer games here. And I don't know. I think I think we're looking at Tatis and, and Acuna as the forgotten forgotten best players in the game, if that makes any sense. Um, like I think last year we were talking about Otani, Trout, Judge, Mookie as best players in baseball, and then Harper reinserted in the postseason. Um, Acuna and Tatis, I feel like, Obviously, last year with Acuna being a subdued version of himself and Tatis being out the entire year, and then you know the knock on him with the with the PEDs, those guys fell out of the conversation for a little bit. But you know, a full health Acuna and a full health Tatis, so undeniably awesome. Yeah, I got a lot of flack for putting Acuna six in my t- preseason top one hundred, and yeah, Tatis he's at higher nine. than that like, now. I was like, have you like what? We're gonna dock him because he was playing on one leg and was still like not bad. I mean, he's. He's the freak of baseball right now. He is, I think, the best all-around player in the game. I mean, all-around, base running, defense, power, batting average. Probably. Right? Because, you know, we talk about pure hitters. We talk about the best pitchers. But is there a better all-around baseball player? I mean, you could say Mookie still. But like, if you were to grade the five tools, right? Like Acuna has the best, you know, composite score of the five tools. That's what I'm got. saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing for me, man. Oh, also what? one more thing. Yeah. I don't think Lindor is going to win the MVP like I said. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. Wait, no, maybe? No, I don't no, think so. Not. I think I Alonzo. I, I do appreciate that Alonzo is plus 850, but uh, yeah, I don't think a New York Met is winning the MVP this you year. You don't think Lindor is going to win? I don't think so. I'm sorry. Do, do you want me to say yes and like will it into yes. existence? Yes. Yeah, Peter. I think, I think. Lindor has a fighting chance. I kind of agree. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last thing. What the hell with the capital H did the Tampa Bay Rays do about this starting rotation now? Mm. Drew Rasmussen is on the 60 day. He's shut down for two months with this Flex flexor strength. Yeah. Like that's terrifying, man. So you got mm. Rasmussen on the shelf. Springs is out for the entire year. You've got glass now that is so finicky. He was working his way back. He started a game in Durham and he had left side tightness on his way back from an oblique thing. I mean, dog, like it's time for Taj unleashed. You need Taj Bradley and Shane McClanahan as the one too. Eflin, you know, if you want to slap him in the middle of those, you need three confirmed starters each time through the rotation. I firmly believe you need three starting. You need three starting pitchers. If any organization in baseball isn't going to do that, if they're going to go with two starting pitchers or one starting pitcher, it's going to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Thankfully, they have two right now with McClanahan and Eflin. Uh, Taj, it's time for him to start going six innings because you need him to start going six innings. 
So I think if they run with those three and then figure it out for the other two, they could be fine. But I'm starting to get a little nervous about a deep rotation that all of a sudden became very, very thin. Yes, but Glass now is going to come back. So Tyler Glass now on May the 5th made a triple A rehab start, two and a third, two hits, four Ks, two walks, nine whiffs on 18 swings. So he's going to be back. And then you have your four. Is Boz going to come back this season? He could be back at the end of the year is my understanding. I think he got the surgery. I'll I'll double check on the date. Yeah, so basically we have Shane McClanahan, we have Zach Eflin, we have Taj Bradley, and we have potentially Tyler Glass now coming back pretty soon. That's still incredibly good. And then that's when you make the trade for the starter. Like, they have so many prospects. Like, couldn't you flip Vidal Brujan for somebody? I mean, what do you what do you even need him for? Like, they have so many guys that they could easily make that trade for the Eduardo Rodriguez in Detroit, right? Guys like that, where they should be able to make those moves. Because Rays, I mean, the time is now. The time is now. You are leading the division. You got a couple guys that went on the IL, but you are in an opportunity in a spot where you can totally move off some pieces to get that guy. And it's not like they haven't before. They were willing to trade Joe Ryan for Nelson Cruz. This is not a team that I think is just going to stand pat at the deadline. So while it looks really, really grim right now, they have reinforcements coming and then they have the prospect capital in order to make those moves. That's why I still think they're going to be totally fine. And they're still winning these horrible bullpen games because they score nine runs a game. And people are like, well, the Rays are going to keep hitting 300. It's going to be close. I mean, everybody in this lineup banks. In case like someone gets hurt, because Yanni Diaz is one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. I'm sold at this point. He just is. Juan Franco is one of the best overall players in this point. Leads the league in war. Randy Rosarina is becoming just a straight-up superstar. Brandon Lau is on a terrible, terrible little stretch. But at the beginning of the season, you saw who he is. He's just slumping right now. He's going to be totally fine. He's a guy who could hit 35 to 40 home runs. Yeah. Like these aren't random guys. Isak Paredes, Christian Bethencourt. These are good hitters. Josh Lowe. I mean, I could just continue to rattle off these right. guys that maybe you don't know a ton about, but they're good-ass players. This isn't some fluke offense. They are real, and they're going to continue to outsmart and out-talent teams. So Isak Paredes was at one point, one of the top prospects in the game, one of the top power hitting prospects in the game. And they flipped him for Austin Meadows, like great deal for Tampa. Jose Siri, again, a guy that is tooled out the ass, didn't really click. Now it clicks in Tampa. He's a good baseball player. And then you mentioned like they've got star power. Um, Real quick, circling back on glass. Now you mentioned his first rehab start, two and a third on May 5th. On May 10th, he went an inning and he was pulled with left side tightness. So that I guess I'm Damn not it. too concerned about that because Damn apparently, it. yeah, <laughs> I know it sucks. And every time you see Glass now pulled from rehab start, your heart sinks because we've seen that multiple times now. But I'm not too concerned. I just don't know if we're going to get a truly unleashed version of Glass now. While Taz Bradley has not been that great in AAA over his last couple of starts, I frankly don't care because he wasn't care. that great to open his AAA season. And then he comes up for his big league debut. And he looks flat out awesome through his first three starts in his big league career. So throw him into the fire 
it seems yes. like he's ready. If you can give me McClanahan at full go, Eflin at full go, Bradley at full go, and then a semi-tight leash on Tyler Glass now, I feel so much better about this rotation than if they were wanting to be cautious with Bradley and Glass now has another setback. Yeah, I, I put out a tweet um, that I think the AL East, as it's currently right now, might be what the AL East looks like, right? With the Rays in first, the Orioles in second, the Blue Jays in third, the Yankees in fourth, and the Red Sox in fifth. Now, the Yankees are going to get much healthier. I still think that they're going to compete. But that's not that's not an indictment on the Yankees. These Orioles are absolutely for real. If they fall off, I will be genuinely shocked. The Blue Jays are just a freaking train engine. They're going toe-to-toe with the Braves this weekend, and they played really well. They are still one of the best teams in baseball. And the Rays are the best team in baseball. So, again, I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm just being a realist. Like, you see these other teams, like the Rays are throwing, you know, the Yankees hit McClanahan well, which was awesome. But then, of course, like, I thought the Yankees played really well against the Rays again, and they still split. Like, I thought the Rays didn't even play that well. Like, that's that's what I'm talking about here, is that the Yankees are still one of the best teams in the American League. But that doesn't mean that they're better than the Orioles, Blue Jays, or Rays. I just think that these three teams are so freaking good. Like, if you made a top seven teams, all those three teams are all in that top seven, six range. That's it for me, man. What else you got? No, that's it for me. Um, happy about my haircut. Feel good. Look good. Good. Happy belated mom's day to uh, Ms. Apple. Yes. Happy belated mom's day to Miss McMullen. It was great. It was great. Hopefully it was great for all of you. Happy Mother's Day out there to all the listeners of the Just Baseball Show. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. The best way to support this podcast is to get yourself some Just Baseball merch. Maybe get your mom some Just Baseball merch. Maybe. 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 Father's Day's coming up soon, sorta. Think about it. It is in the episode description. Again, we are sponsored by BetMGM. Use code JBFANS when you download for the King of Sportsbooks. You got to go check out those MVP odds. Maybe you disagree with me and you think now is still the time to jump on Ronald Acuna Jr. I would not fault to you. And once you wager $10 on any MLB money line, you can receive $100 in bonus bets, depending on the state. in bonus bets. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And if you don't want to spend a dime, no worries at all. If you could rate this podcast five stars, whether that be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that's the best way to support, as well as hitting that subscribe button on YouTube, hitting the like and commenting anything else that you'd like to listen to. Appreciate you guys all listening. Hopefully this was a good start to your week. And with that, thank you, everybody. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash 
iron from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 